Hi, and welcome to the Good Health Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Good, a registered nutritional therapy practitioner and functional medicine practitioner. Join me as we explore thyroid, brain, and fatigue conditions with positivity. From Hashimoto's to multiple sclerosis, chronic fatigue to adrenal dysfunction, I've got you covered. With expert advice and tips to help you take action now and inspiring real patient stories from successful individuals who refuse to let their health hold them back. Start your journey to good health today. And don't forget to come and join the conversation on Instagram at good underscore health, that's G-O-O-D-E. Or visit my website at NicoleGoodHealth.com to find out more. Welcome to today's episode of the Good Health Podcast. Today I've invited Louise Seller onto the podcast. She's the Director of Communications and Development for the Thyroid Trust Charity. Louise is a very proud mother of two children and she volunteers at her children's local athletics club. She's been in UK construction for over 17 years. She's a lover of the great outdoors, enjoys the activities of hiking, paddleboarding, and wild water swimming. Louise found out about the Thyroid Trust in 2020 following a diagnosis of Graves' disease. The following year, she received radioactive iodine treatment. And as a result of this experience, she's passionate about raising awareness and assisting in the education of and supporting other thyroid patients and their families through diagnosis and beyond. Louise started with the trust in December 2022, and I am thrilled to have her on the podcast today. Let's jump straight into today's episode. Hi, Louise. Welcome to the Good Health Podcast. It's great to have you on. Hi, Nicole. Thank you very much for having me. So let's just start. So we're obviously talking about the, the thyroid trust trust charity today but just tell us a little bit about yourself first how did you sort of get involved in this line of work how did you get involved with the charity what's what's your sort of background yeah well it's a bit of a it's far removed from what I do in a day job because I actually work in the construction sector as my normal job but I got involved with the thyroid trust I was diagnosed myself with autoimmune Graves disease in 2020 during lockdown, which was obviously a pretty scary time because access, you know, everything on the news was like, don't go to your doctor. And there was all this scary stuff. So it took me a while to get diagnosed. But once I was diagnosed, obviously, it was quite an isolating time anyway, because you weren't allowed to see anybody. So I just started looking for information online, just about my condition, because I had never heard of anything to do with I didn't even know what the thyroid was when I was diagnosed I remember being like well what is it and where is it and I think like most people when they're first diagnosed and thing you're just desperate for for knowledge and information and you know understanding of, of you know what treatment options were available you know what were all the symptoms and you know did I have them all and was there anything else to come and all this sort of stuff so I just started looking around for information and came across the charity then in terms of, you know, online, just looking for that support, really, of, of, of information. And, and and when I saw on social media, because I was already following the Thyroid Trust, that there was an opportunity to get involved, I just jumped at the chance because I knew how important and um, impactful it had been for me personally. And so to be able to be involved in the community and help others was just something I just felt completely drawn to do and was like yes and uh, thankfully they felt the same way so um, (laughs) I actually only joined the charity in December of 2022 so it's still all relatively new to me working in the third sector in the charity sector but I absolutely love it and it's a very supportive nice place to be. Yeah it must have been very difficult getting diagnosed I mean it's, it's it's bad enough for people at the best of times but through 
like you said, through COVID and lockdowns and, and all of that, it, it must have been quite daunting going through that at that time. Yeah, um, it was. It was it was very scary. Like I say, I think everybody was on a sort of heightened sense of anxiety generally at that stage. And like I say, at at the time I went to A&E because I had this very elevated heart rate and I felt really, really just not well. I was told at the time where they did no blood tests or anything like that, they checked my heart and that they thought it was down to anxiety because there was nothing that they could find actually wrong with my heart. Um, It was only when I did a private at home finger prick blood test because access to your GP surgery and everything at that stage um, was was still done over the phone. It was only when I I started shaking that I thought this really isn't right. Um, And in my mind, the only thing that medically I'd associated previous with shaking was Parkinson's disease. So I was thinking, maybe it's that. So I did this finger prick blood test and I got a, a, a response pretty quickly once I sent that off saying, you need to see somebody. And credit to my GP at that stage, as soon as I sent them the results that I'd had through this company, they acted on it straight away. And I was in having a blood test through the GPs and they started me on medication. But just trying to get access to a consultant was incredibly difficult. I was very fortunate. I had private healthcare through employment at that time. Mm-hmm. And even that was really, really difficult. And all of it was done via Zoom. So it was, it was, it was just, I mean, it's scary for anybody when you're sort of told information and especially because it was quite limited, like I say, at diagnosis. And it was even more worrying when then everything was sort of being done over online platforms, which we were, we're all really used to now. Yeah. I are talking on a platform and, you know, everybody does it with work now, but at the time we were all still in very much that phase of getting used to this sort of new way of life. And it was like you said, it was a it was a new way of life. So everything was changing, which was anxiety inducing for a lot of people anyway. But then to go through a health thing at the same time is, you know, which is stressful in its in itself. I, I love the stories when people come on where they've used their story to to then want to sort of give back and help others in in some some you know some way people have different ways of of doing it and I I love that and it's amazing how many of these conversations I've had actually on the podcast I've I've, some of them haven't come out yet I've recorded them and they've not come out yet but had these conversations where people have had this diagnosis had had something and then they've ended up finding a way of actually getting involved and helping others and I just I think that's lovely I think it's a really it's a I always say with the podcast what I want to do is put a positive spin on these chronic conditions that when you you know when you google them don't have a lot of positivity around them and and that's, you know, that's, that's a real issue you know oh, with... never doctor google as always... yeah exactly <laughs> I mean I, that's the first thing I did as soon as someone said oh it's Graves disease I put it in and I was just like oh my goodness oh my goodness yeah and, and it was really odd and when I'd been typing in my symptoms because we all do it let's be honest yeah when I'd been poorly and typing in my symptoms it kept coming up with hypothyroidism and but the one thing that and I think this is one of the reasons that I never sort of pushed it was a because I didn't really know anything about it and the other was the fact that it it talked a lot on the websites about there being family links and genetic links yeah nobody in my immediate family has a thyroid problem so for me, I was thinking, well, look, I don't know, there's nobody that's got that. So it can't be that. But obviously, the more I've been involved and the more I've learned, I realized that, it, yes, obviously, there is a stronger link to autoimmune conditions being within families and particularly with thyroid disease. But it's not that's not the only 
there are other there are other people that are other affected that don't have these other factors that's absolutely yeah yeah we we always say the genes load the gun and the environment pulls pulls the trigger so you've yeah. got to have the genetics that kind of you've, you've got to have some some genetics in you to be able to develop the autoimmune diseases and this is not specific to thyroid this is for you know sort of any of them but it's you it's the environment that actually triggers those things off and sets sets them at play and and starts that sort of autoimmune journey in people Um, and actually you know genetics usually is a relatively small part of that there's you know environments usually usually plays a much bigger part well I always jokingly blame homeschooling (laughs) (laughs) that um that's what triggered the stress of trying to do that and work um at the same time whilst we were in that real um pressure cooker situation of covid I always joke that that was what triggered mine. But um, in reality, there's probably some truth behind it, that it was a very stressful time. Yeah. Intense time. So, um, so yeah. So you, so you got this diagnosis, you went kind of through that journey yourself, found, that's how you found the charity. So tell us a little bit about the charity. Who's, who's involved in the charity? Who's, who sort of works in it? Are they working do you have sort of permanent employees is there volunteers what's the what's the sort of makeup of the charity so the thyroid trust is still relatively small it was actually set up by a group of thyroid patients in 2010 it didn't actually become a registered charity until may 2019 some of the original founders are still involved as trustees in the charity but otherwise it's predominantly run by the board of trustees with myself and our operations manager, Lee, who work very sort of part-time for the charity, because like I could say we're still relatively small. And the rest is volunteers. We have an amazing group of volunteers that do all sorts of things for the charity, which I found really interesting because my kind of perception of volunteering before I came in was that, you know, you physically have to go somewhere and do something. And whilst we do have volunteers that come along and help us at our peer support face-to-face meetings by making cups of tea and things like that a lot of them do behind the scenes things such as editing our videos um, of events that we record online or sharing stuff on social media for us or hosting peer support groups online and things like that so there's lots and lots of ways that people can get involved with working for the charity and um, we're still very reliant on them and we're very very grateful for those people that step up and get involved and do a lot of those people have thyroid conditions themselves is that is that what you find most of them have been on on the journey themselves yeah the majority of our trustees and volunteers are thyroid patients or people that have been impacted by thyroid disorders in some way whether that be you know a loved one a family member a friend and seen firsthand how how debilitating um for some people and some of the symptoms can be and the fact that for a, a large number of thyroid patients the majority of them it's a lifelong chronic condition so they've seen the ups and downs and want to help or like we discussed before that giving back to the community and it is a lovely lovely caring supportive community which is the one thing that I found personally in my own journey and have discovered even more so in the role that I'm in now yeah how was just that was I was just gonna ask you that actually what the the giving back part so the working for the charity how do you feel that that obviously that's helping other people which is great but how do you feel that that has helped you as well oh 100 it actually feels sometimes 
it's very cathartic absolutely being able to just listen and be involved and even if you just help that one person it's just it's such an amazing feeling having known I mean I had one lady that I met through my own journey who I've mentioned on a blog that I did for our own website when I first joined so that people could understand my background and um, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning her but her name's Carol and I met her through a support group and she has been an absolute rock for me in terms of just having someone else that understood what I was going through. She was diagnosed with Graves' disease. She had had other health complications as well, which I didn't, but we had a similar treatment pattern. And it was just feeling heard and understood by somebody in a way that even your close loved ones and families and friends couldn't relate to because they hadn't had that lived experience. Yeah. was just absolute gold for me. And I see it all the time in our events. And that's the bit where I just think this is why it's so important. This is where, you know, it steps in and fills those gaps in people's lives that can really make a massive impactful difference. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the mission statement for the charity is something along the lines of you're not alone. Is that right? Yeah, that's a sort of strap slash tagline. Because the thing with that we found with thyroid disease is that lots of people, because it's not an obvious illness, in terms of, you know, you can't necessarily walk up to someone and know straight away that they're suffering with some sort of thyroid disorder. So we find that a lot of people feel quite isolated. And I think with anything chronic, even your loved ones, you know, stop asking how you are. And I know a lot of people feel awkward in terms of sort of saying, well, I still don't feel great or because they feel like, oh, I've been talking about this for such a long time now. Yeah. And masking is something that comes up a lot in our peer support sessions where people talk about the fact that they feel like in you know their social groups or their employment or educational settings that they have to put on this mask of I'm okay I've got this where actually what we tend to find is that that might not be the truth they might not actually be feeling okay they might still be suffering with fatigue and they might still be struggling with anxiety or feeling a bit depressed and they just it's that it's then it just want people to know you're not the only one there's lots of us out here that are living that life and you know still experiencing those challenges Um, and there is there's a whole community here for you who can offer you that support and just making people feeling heard is so important um and can just makes them feel that feel validated and I think we all need that just on a human level yeah I get that a lot from patients I work with who sort of say like the, the best part of, you know, I always speak to people afterwards to say what, what they, what's been good for them about working with me and things like that. And what, you know, and they, one of the things that always comes up is that just having somebody that I felt understood it and heard me and you, cause like you say, thyroid isn't, it's an, it's an invisible autoimmune. It's what we would class as invisible autoimmune disease. I, I don't have thyroid. I have MS, but it's, it's again, an invisible autoimmune. It's, it's why I'm a bit like you, this is what I got into this, into doing the work that I do because of my health conditions, which is usually the case with most of the practitioners that I work with. You know, we, we always usually have got our own health sort of health story there somewhere, but they are invisible. And that can be just the fact that they are those sort of invisible chronic illnesses, like you say, can be really isolating. And 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 also, 
I think the comment I got a lot was, but you look so well. And it's like, oh, great. Like, thanks. Like, I'm really pleased I look well. (laughs) But at the same time, it's almost kind of like they were almost saying it in a way that kind of diminishes it a bit in in your head. You sort of think like, well, I should be I should be well. I look well. I should be well. I should be feeling okay. I should have all the energy. And, you know, when you're when you're at that point where you're you're not very well, that's quite it's quite hard. It's quite hard to live with. Yeah, we do. We do um, support groups, which are based around what we call literacy, literacy skill sessions, which sounds really complicated. But one of the things we try and do is help people um, find an outlet or way to verbalize. Um, and and Anthony, who's one of our volunteers, runs these brilliant sessions. And one of the words that stuck with me when I attended one of these was so many people described having this chronic illness like a roller coaster. And I think that's the other thing as well. So whilst everybody obviously feels poorly at diagnosis and then the hope is that with treatment, they'll then start to feel better. But we know that then other factors can impact that journey along the way. So there may be some sort of stress going on in people's lives um, that can cause things to re-trigger or sometimes for some of them, people go into remission and then come back out again. And so it's that it's that having having people that you know will be there when through the good and the bad times so because you don't need it what we find is that people don't come to the charity all the time you know they'll dip in and out as and when they need for what they need whether it be you know they might be feeling better on treatment but actually they still want to know further information or they might want to get involved in research or all these sorts of things that obviously we can put them in contact with um so I just think it's that it's that constant that journey and that up and down and that being there and having that not being alone and it doesn't have to be just when you've diagnosed it can be in five six years time when you need something else so it's that it's that continual support I think yeah and that's the typical autoimmune journey isn't it that sort of you know as well as well as we can get people even putting people into remission and obviously that with the work I do that's the the goal is to get people as close to remission into remission as as possible we can't cure autoimmune diseases and I'm very clear people often when I have an initial call with them and say can can you cure this and it's like I'm very clear with people you can't cure an autoimmune disease it's it's chronic you're going to have it for life it's about managing it well but even people that you can get really well and back into remission, they will still at times have flare ups. That's part of the auto autoimmune journey. And, and we have those times where you will, you know, symptoms will flare up a bit. Like you said, stress is usually, there are other things, but stress is commonly sometimes catching viruses and things like that is a, another sort of really common one as well. But, but stress tends to be the really big one and it can cause flare ups in, Actually, some I had I was talking to somebody the other day who was who had recently came to work with me and recently had a flare up. And prior to that, had been quite well. And she actually said that she was finding the flare up now, which I think she's about she's about almost five years down the line from diagnosis. And she said she's finding the the flare up actually has impacted her in a mental capacity. So sort of with anxiety and the depression, sort of she's quite down about it more than the original diagnoses because when she was ill she was like well I'll get treatment and I'll get better and it'll be okay and she said she had quite a positive outlook and then she said when the flare-up came back she was like I've been well for so long and actually the flare-up she found harder to deal with than the initial the initial stage where she knew she was ill and she just wanted to get on with treatment and get on with dealing with things and, and sorting things out 
and and we've been talking a lot about that sort of mindset around it and things like that and and I think that having like you said having people around you at that time having places to turn is is really important and it does hit people at different times some people you know I've, I've spoken to different people about their journeys with diagnosis and for me getting a diagnosis was a relief because it had been such a long time of not knowing for yes. other people they get the diagnosis and actually it's it's really they don't take that well it's really difficult for them to hear that they've got this whatever the condition might be and so people react differently and it hits people at different times and to have somewhere to turn I think I think is really important as well yeah absolutely and it's, it's interesting you say it because one of the things that again comes up a lot in our peer support is is about that sort of grief for your former self that we find and that can hit people at different stages as well so we find that some people come back when you know they may have li- lived a very active life before or they may have done certain things that suddenly they find and the reality is oh actually I might not be able to quite do all of those things in the same way that I could and it's I was trying to say to people from my own experience that it's that patience with yourself and it's trying to I try really hard to focus on the things that I can do as opposed to things that I maybe can't do in quite the same way as I could before. I probably did too much <laughs> in terms of, you know, being a busy working mum and everything else. You try and do, you try and be superwoman and, you know, yeah. be everything to everyone, which I'm sure will be relatable to many. Um, but the reality is, that's you can't always do that and I think that's a massive frustration it was for me and I know it has been for other patients I've spoken to and it's about like I say learning to accept it's going to be it's going to be slightly different moving forward but it doesn't mean that it has to be not as good it just looks a bit different and those things like I say they seem to hit people at different times yeah they may come back and just want to talk about that and how you know that they feel about that or you know we like to also celebrate the positives where we can and you know it's that thing of when you can suddenly do something like I've just started running again for the first time in three years and you know you, you, the first time I could I ran 5k I was like oh my so <laughs> excited it was such a celebration and to other people that do that week in week out they're probably thinking all right <laughs> but it was like I didn't know that I'd ever be able to necessarily feel well enough to get to that stage without it being detrimental to me again yeah and so you know I've got to take it easy I can't do that every day or anything ridiculous like that but when I can do those things it feels like a massive sense of achievement again so yeah it's interesting you you mentioned about this that sort of I guess burnout of that you know that sort of so I I work on the autoimmune side and I work a lot on the preventative medicine side as well so people who have burnt out and I there is such a link between the two because I tend to find that a lot of the people who do get autoimmune diseases a lot of them have have been that sort of quite high achieving fast-paced lifestyle pushing through you know juggling lots of different things and I think because I think a lot of the time that that in itself is a trigger for you know for, for an autoimmune condition and actually and a lot of a lot of people it's it's really interesting to see that connection of actually they're they are that fast-paced lifestyle actually can have a really detrimental impact and then when when something like that hits it's almost harder for them because they've been so used. They've been that that person that is so used to being on the go all the time. 
but yeah. it's it's kind of hard to then sort of have to have to deal with this that is impacting that life but like you said you can get back to okay it might be a slightly different version of normal but you can get back to doing a lot of the things that you maybe can't do initially and have to sort of pull back on and I mean even even a even a person who's just got burnout not not developed like a chronic illness we need to pull back on like a lot of the exercise and things like that that they're doing they're probably overtraining and things like that so even before you get to the point of having a chronic condition you know we have to pull back but that doesn't mean that you can never get back to doing these things like you said you know running that 5k again and being like not sure I was ever going to get here and now you've done it and there will be other goals that you get to you know you get to hit along that journey and it's it's nice it's nice to have them it's also nice I guess to have a community around you that you can celebrate that with Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's one of the big things that, you know, in terms of what we do as a charity, you know, we focus on peer support. We're also big on advocacy in terms of giving people the skills and the the knowledge um, and informed knowledge that they can have those conversations with their healthcare providers um, and feel much more empowered in doing those and also raising awareness is a massive part of what we do Um, and that but that peer support like I say has been the big thing and we do lots of online and face-to-face to yeah and so people can share that lived experience as well because we know that people will go to their healthcare professionals and and get the medical advice I mean we do give people access in some of our talks we will have endocrinologists and other healthcare professionals come and and do talks for the community so that people especially at the moment with everything that's going on in the healthcare system it does give people access like I say to informed information so we know that it's coming from a credible source um, and people aren't sort of you know going on to the internet and finding out because some people come to us for saying, oh, I, I found out this or I've been doing this. And you just think, oh, OK, <laughs> you to your doctor about that first or whatever. And it's always a little bit of a worry at times. So we do give people access to that. But it's that that lived experience. Um, and we try and give it back the other way as a charity. So we give the endocrinologists access to patients. So on our talks, they'll have an opportunity to do a Q&A. And I think it's really important for both parties so that they can hear firsthand what it's like for people you know patients and and the things they're experiencing in the same way but it's the sharing of the gold as I call it with 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 the peer support meetings so you'll get people coming on and they'll be really worried because they've changed a job or um or, or something along those lines and someone else within the group will come up with something and I've seen it happen so many times and be like well I had that and I managed to get occupational health involved and 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 then I got all this support through my employer and it's just that sharing of lived experience it's just it is so impactful and makes such a difference in people's lives that yeah and we do we encourage people to you know come back and let us know how we're doing and there are patients that as a charity we've been speaking to for for the years that we've been active and you're there and you know you 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 live it with them in terms of their highs and lows and it's lovely it's it is it is a real community is the best way to describe it so if people come to come to you guys they get I know you've mentioned sort of the the peer support groups and you have some talks and things like that what I guess what can people expect if they approach the charity because only sometimes people are a bit 
anxious maybe about reaching out not quite sure what what's going to be involved what's going you know how how involved they're going to have to be you know and all of that sort of thing that can sort of almost hold people back from reaching out to to people like yourselves or practitioners anybody really what what can people expect sort of when they reach out what sort of things do you put on for them what what could they get involved in yeah so we've got lots of ways that people get in touch with us and they do whether it be through socials I mean lots of people send us emails in I always say is that you know first and foremost if you're asking the questions it's great it's a great start because like you say even if they're lacking in confidence at least they've come to somewhere where we we're not medically trained and I always make that really clear we can't give people individual medical advice and we do get people contacting us saying oh you know I'm a bit worried about this I'm a bit worried about that what do you think and you know we're always very honest about the fact that you do need to speak to your healthcare providers but the things that we can do to help and support and we offer to people is you know if they we can point them in the direction of the correct guidelines so they know like I say so they can be informed as to have those conversations as to what they should be expecting in regards to their care we don't we don't just do it in regards to things like pointing them in the right direction of nice guidelines and things like that we might know of other patients that have had experience and put people in contact with each other that happens we do have one of our volunteers Emma she um, is a thyroid patient she's also a qualified um, personal trainer so people quite often come to us for support around how to get back into exercise and things like that and again we can put those questions to a trained professional and get them a response like I say we offer the in regards to the peer support we do that in lots of different ways so we host online events generally for each individual sort of disorder if you like so we have peer support for people with hypothyroidism or an underactive thyroid we have peer support sessions for people that have an overactive thyroid or Graves disease or Hashimoto's going back to the hypothyroidism and then we run peer support for for patients that have been diagnosed with thyroid cancer so it's quite individual we've actually got a new one coming up that we've not done before in November we're actually doing a men only support because we're very aware that it's a very female dominated space. Yeah. And we know that's because women are 10 times more likely to suffer with thyroid problems than men, but that's not to say that men aren't affected. So we're doing a a men only peer support so that they can also access support in, as we in a, in a space that feels safe for them. So they can come along to these events. You can literally log on and just listen you don't have to. We always say to people, we don't feel that you have to start, you know, telling your whole life story or contributing because not everybody's in that place. So generally what happens is we have someone who hosts and that will always be a volunteer in terms of someone that's just got lived experience of that particular condition. They will just talk a little bit about their experience, their journey, and then it's opened up to everybody that's attended to to have a say um, and we're very much a case of it's you know an inclusive space and people can share or not share some people like to do it on the chat which is why zoom's really good because people don't have to have a camera on um, they can just put their questions into the chat or they can um, you know share their story that way there's always like I say the host is always there generally I'm online as well just to kind of guide people and help them through it so it doesn't it's, it doesn't have to be intimidating some people might come along and like I say just listen for the first one and then maybe the next one they'll want to and then 
you know, maybe later down the line, they'll actually be one of the people saying, well, I feel comfortable enough now to be talking about this and I will share. We do face-to-face events in London where we literally just sit around and have a cup of tea, have some biscuits and literally chat. And it, we always do a catch-up in terms of people that have come regularly. You know, how are you feeling now? What's what's happening to you but there's always new people coming and again they can literally just sit there and have a cup of tea and talk to someone might just be like you know where can I get information on you know this particular area we've always got leaflets and things available to hand out to people um sometimes they just want to come and meet another thyroid patient I know for me that was a real big thing because I think because I'd been so isolated, I hadn't actually met any other thyroid patients. And Karen, who's one of our trustees, who also has Graves disease, she was one of the first people I'd actually met face-to-face who had the condition that I'd been diagnosed with. And it was just wonderful in 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 the sense that it, there was someone else who, who knew what it was like to have this and yeah. just seeing them. And, you know, she she's lived with the condition longer than I have. And to hear her you know, the fact that she was out paddle boarding and all this sort of stuff. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. So like I say, it's up to them in terms of how much they want to get involved and how much they don't. It, they don't have to do, they can do as much or as little as they like, basically. Yeah. And in regards to the talks that we, we run, we always let people know in advance what the talk is about. So, you know, they can decide whether or not it's for them and if they do turn up they don't have to contribute they can just listen to the presentation but like I say there is a Q&A session so it does give people the opportunity to ask the professionals you know what would you do in this circumstance or what's the latest on this you know and all this and it's those things giving people access to that information is is really great the feedback we have after every event is brilliant you know, people are always, you know, we're very open. I always say to people, if there's something we should be doing, if there's something that you feel we need, we're doing this December, we've got one of our supporters who is a yoga studio doing a meditation and gentle yoga session for us online in December, which I just thought would be lovely. That lead up to Christmas where everyone's sort of rushing around, just teaching people some stress management skills. We, we've, we've, done some charity partnerships with like the sleep charities so that people can get information and advice on you know a really good habit to get into to have a good night's sleep because we know that that's something that our thyroid patients have become back to saying I really struggle with my sleep so it's like right well how can we support these so I always say to patients is you know get in contact with us let us know the things that are important to you that are affecting you and it's that whole holistic thing it's not just about providing you know, listening ear, some medical information. It's about how else can we help and support thyroid patients so, you know, they can go and have a good quality of life. And like I say, that's giving them information um, on all the other things that we know affect them from stress management. The literacy skills I mentioned, that's another one, gives people the ability to, you know, start journaling because we know that that's really good for mental well-being. We know that that really helps in terms of like tracking and logging people's symptoms. So again, when they're sat in front of their doctor, they can go, well, you know, this is what I've been experiencing. And it's just trying to give them the support that they need. And we're very, very open to that, to that feedback. Yeah, I think it's really useful for people to know. And that's, that's why I asked you the question, because 
I think some, like you said, with the sharing side of things, that some people maybe would, if they're not ready, if they feel maybe that they're not quite ready to share and things like that, it could almost hold them back from reaching out to these things. So I think for them to know, actually, they can just come and sit and listen and, you know, things like that, I think is maybe for some, for some, I mean, some people won't be worried. They'll want to talk and want to share. And that's, and that's great if they're ready for that. But for the ones that are not to know that they can actually come along and just sit and listen to a presentation or sit and listen to other people talk and, but they're getting good, genuine advice from a, from a solid source and, you know, it's coming from the right places. You know, I think that's, it's useful for people to know that actually it's, it's all very laid back and that you're all very friendly and that they can just reach out and get as much, you know, as much, get involved as much or as little as they, as they want, I think helps people just to get started. If they are feeling a little bit awkward about reaching out and talking about it, like you, you know, like you said, which, which I think can be the case for a lot, for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. We do get involved in campaigning as well. So there are a couple of um, campaigns that we're working on that people can get involved with again in as little or as in no way as they want. One of them that, um, you may be aware of is uh, regarding the T3 campaign, which is access to yeah. life, which is an alternative treatment to levothyroxine, which most people are put on if they have an underactive thyroid. Which we along. can't get just so people sort of know we, we, we at the moment can't get in the UK. So it's I work I work with people kind of all over all over the world. So I, I've got a mix of people who can get access and people who can't get access. And it's not it's not easy. You can't really get access to it within the within the UK easily at all. The guidelines are that it is to make it more accessible to people yeah. in terms of that there should be trials offered if there's no other abilities in terms of, you know, they look at things like B12 and iron. And this is just for people that are still symptomatic um, when they've been on levothyroxine. And we have um, a portion of our community that are patients that require or take t3 and we know the challenges that they faced in regards to getting access um to this so we're working with all the other thyroid charities and patient groups to improve the guidance the wording of the guidance to make it accessible to those that really need it and we know at the moment it's still a bit of a postcode lottery and yeah some people have been successful and some people haven't. So that's one of the campaigns which we're involved in. And one of the things we still actively ask people to do is through our website, they can put information on there about whether or not they have been told that this is something that they need and whether or not they have been able to get access. And, you know, this is really useful information that we've, you know, we can collate and use and present to the powers that be to influence change basically. And the other thing that we're trying to do is get thyroid conditions onto the women's health strategy, because as we alluded to earlier, we know that women are 10 times more likely to have a thyroid problem than men. And so we feel that just on that basis alone, it's something that needs to be considered on there so that it gives it a bigger, a bigger platform, a, a bigger voice for thyroid patients so that, you know, they can be heard. And one of the things that the charity really wanted was to ensure that, you know, people that are affected by thyroid disease are taken seriously, are treated well, are better understood. And, you know, that they can get good the support they need and feel empowered living with their condition. So we know that, you know, by doing these sorts of campaigns that it hopefully it will have a positive impact for, for thyroid patients moving forward. So Yeah, and it's great that you 
that you all get together as well the different like you're saying different patient maybe patient advocacy groups and the different thyroid charities to all pull together because that's that's really what we what we need with these when we're trying to get change for for big things like this you know it's not it's not easy it's never going to be an easy journey to make those kind of changes but if all of those groups can pull together and really work on campaigns like that like you're saying you know that's how change gets made and that's really important for them getting the right support to the to the patients you know as it goes down the line but to be able to pull together like that I think it's really nice to to work in that way yeah I think that's just testament really to like I say the thyroid community generally is is that is that it's a very supportive and um you know we everybody everybody wants to know and like help each other that's the thing it's this and I just I've been really impressed by um how generous a community and supportive a community that it is so yes it's good it's good to have that one voice to 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 shout loudly and give the patients that are you know are not well enough because that's the problem is quite often when people are really poorly is when they need the the most help and you know that's the time that you have the least amount of energy and um I suppose resource to actually fight your corner so it's that it's it's listening to the voices of the patients and 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 helping them where we can so yeah so what looking kind of looking ahead as you know we're sort of rapidly approaching 2024 but what what have you got sort of event wise do you know what's coming in 2024 is that something that people can kind of go on your website and find out Where, where can they get the information on the on the events sort of more specifically where can they where can they get that information of what's coming up? Yeah, so through our website, which is the thyroidtrust.org. So it's thyroidtrust.org. Um, through we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter slash X. I never know quite. What, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, know, know. I don't know what it is anymore. That I, I still see X, and I'm like, what's that? And I'm like, I'm still <laughs> looking. For, I'm still looking for the blue bird as well on my phone when I'm looking for the app. <laughs> it confuses me. Um, and we're on Instagram, so we always promote all of those events on all of those platforms. We also have a mailing list that people can subscribe to on our website. And I would really strongly recommend if people are interested in, we do a, a, a sort of quarterly mail out, which lets people just know about any news in the thyroid world in terms of whether it be related to research or whether it be related to guidelines or anything like that it updates people from that perspective it also lets people know about all of our events and we'll also celebrate any news within the community that we're aware of so it's just it's a it's a nice easy way they're they're not massive long reads but I I would just recommend that anyone sign up for that if they're interested in in getting sort of information because it's a nice easy format and it's not that regular so we won't be spamming your inbox every five minutes (laughs) And we will link, we'll link that below, actually, below the episode, we'll link your website, we'll put the link to sign up to the mailing mailing list and to your socials as well, so that people can easily, if they're listening to this and think they want to do that, if they head to the show notes below the episode, we'll put all the links in there for them so they can easily just click on those and, and connect with you guys. That'd be brilliant. Thank you. But in regards to 2024, we will, we've got four dates already for face-to-face meetings in London. They generally take place at the Crown Court Church, but that will all be on there. And like I say, they're normally a drop-in session between half 10 and half 12. Um, I think that might be changing for next year. So don't quote me on 
those specific timings. <laughs> but we've got four dates, one in February, one in May, one in September, and one in December. We will also be doing a monthly peer support online session for our community. Now that will vary from month to month. So like I say, some months it will be um, for hypothyroidism related conditions, Hashimoto's, underactive thyroid, and some months it will be Graves' disease, overactive thyroid, and um, there will be months for thyroid cancer patients as well. So it would just be a case of, I don't quite know how that's going to play out yet. Um, it will depend on quite quite heavily on what volunteers come forward to um, host those particular programmes. So we'll be doing those. And then, yes, we hope to do some um, other, like I say, sort of interesting events. When I think about what we've done this year in terms of you know, we've had a top oncologist talk. We'll always do talk on, we've had some really interesting talks on some of the research that's going on in the thyroid world, which I think is really important for patients because it shows, I know that when I was first diagnosed, I was unaware of any of these things of, you know, all the work that's kind of, if you like, going on behind the scenes. And I think that gives people hope and shows that there is interest. Um, at the moment, there's a big petition about raising more money for thyroid research so there's a petition going around that we've shared multiple times. And I think all the other charities have as well, where people and it's just how people can get involved and make an impact if they don't want to sort of you know start volunteering regularly. But just I always say to people, they always think, oh, but that's not going to do anything. And I think, no, seriously, if you, you could be that one signature that tips it over 10,000 that takes it to Parliament, you know, it's it's that. So never underestimate, you know, even if you think just like you know resharing stuff on socials about an event you might make that then visible to somebody that that would really really benefit but we've had talks from authors who have written various books around not just things all things thyroid it might be around you know women's health or like I say we'll do something holistic we'll do we'll still continue our literacy skills because we know that people really benefit from that even though a lot of people are quite intimidated by the name of it so I think I might have to re-change re, re that so and then we also have a monthly col column in an online health magazine and sometimes people want to write things for that of their lived experience so there's like I said there's lots of ways that people can get involved but fundamentally it's about raising awareness of thyroid disorders and disease generally so that we can we can give patients a bigger platform a bigger a bigger reach and offer more support to those people that really need it. I love that. And Louise, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I think it's really helpful for people to find out about these resources that are out there because people don't are not always aware that these things are available. And I think you've got so many good, you, you've just listed off a load of things there <laughs> for, for 2024. There's so much that, you know, you're obviously is going to be happening over, over the next year. And I think there's lots of really beneficial stuff that people are going to find really useful so if you know if people do have well I know people that listen to this podcast have thyroid conditions because I think it's about 70% of my clinic now is is thyroid so the there will be lots of people with thyroid listening to this and and like I said we'll drop those links below so people can connect with you guys yeah and just make sure that they're getting really good solid advice and getting that support and, I, and the peer support as well which I think is really important but thank you for giving your time today as well to come on and chat about it. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. And I just say to anybody that's listening that's got it, you know, there is no such thing as a stupid question. So don't ever be afraid to get in touch and ask us those things. And it is that remembering that they're not going to be alone. So if if and when they're ready, there's a lovely supportive community waiting for them right here. Lovely.
Lovely words to finish on. Louise, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Nicole. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Good Health Podcast. Do share the episode with anyone who you think it may benefit or who may enjoy it and help me spread the word by rating the episode or leaving a review. If you want more, you can find other episodes in the series on your podcast app or sign up to my free newsletter. Not only will you get information on new episodes launching, but we cover lots of health topics with the Ask Nicole section where you can send in your questions, my favorite recipes, my favorite products, tips and tricks to help you on the road to good health and much more. You can sign up free of charge at nicolegoodhealth.com forward slash newsletter, also linked below. I hope you have a lovely week. Don't forget to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.